Hey lab mates and welcome to the STEM Lab Podcast where we highlight women in STEM that is science, technology, engineering, and math especially women of color. I'm your host Dr. Sabrina Walthall and today I'm here with Dr. Adrienne Madison, a native of Fairfair, Alabama. She is currently the chief of the musculoskeletal injury prevention and protection team at the U.S. Army Our Medical Research Laboratory in Fort Rucker, Alabama. She received a Bachelor of Science degree in Biomedical Engineering with a minor in Material Science and Engineering from the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. Dr. Madison holds the honorable distinction of being the first graduate from the University of Georgia's newly established College of Engineering in 2013, where she earned her Doctorate of Philosophy degree in Biological and Agricultural Engineering. Not only is she dynamic in her career, but Dr. Madison has been honored as a UGA Amazing Student in 2013, a member of the 2019 class of UGA's 40 Under 40, as well as being invited to serve on the UGA College of Engineering Advisory Board. Most recently, she was named to the 2022 class of Volunteer 40 Under 40 alumni at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. Well, Adrian, welcome to the podcast. We are so happy to have you here today at the STEM Lab podcast. Uh, it is just amazing. I'm, I've been watching and following you for a while. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I know our audience is like, well, who is Miss Adrian? And so <laughs> I'm called her Miss Adrian because I've known Adrian for a really long time, not in the sense that we've been in the same fields of space, but I remember when Adrian was born. So that tells you how old I am. <laughs> and that is crazy. But um, being on social media, we've come in contact again. And so Adrian is now Dr. Madison. And so we do want to give her all of her respect and call her as such. So if you decide to contact her, please address her as Dr. Adrian Madison and not Adrian, because I'm the only person who knew her, okay? <laughs> so we'll just start out. Uh, as always on the podcast, we're here to highlight women in STEM, especially women of color. And so we want to uh, start out just asking Adrian about her career and where she is in STEM at this time. All right. So um, by trade, I am a research biomedical engineer and currently I am working for um, the Army, uh, specifically at the U.S. Army Air Medical Research Laboratory um, that is based in Fort Rucker, Alabama. Um, and my title there, um, I am the chief of musculoskeletal injury prevention and protection. So um, I lead one of six teams um, that focus on injury biomechanics and protection as it relates to um, service members um, in the air and on the ground. So that was a lot right there. Uh, I know for most of my listeners, they're like, so what she said she do again? Okay. <laughs> so, if you could, just in layman's term, if someone was like, I'm not really up on all of the uh, terminology, what is it that Adrian does? Okay. So more generally, biomedical engineers tend to merge um, science and medicine um, for different concepts. So um, if you think of the hospital, anything from the hospital beds to the imaging equipment, um, the surgical tools, mm -hmm. things of that nature, um, biomedical engineers have a hand in. Um, let's see. 
the type of materials for your medical devices, your pacemakers, your prosthetics, mm -hmm. um, anything of that nature. So basically we are the pipeline um, to the hospital. Um, it's usually a dialogue between biomedical engineers and, and physicians and hospital administration. Um, what equipment they need, what's wrong with the current equipment um, they're using and how could it better be improved. Um, and so biomedical engineering is unique in the sense where um, you can, it has applications on the micro level uh, from your cellular drug delivery type applications all the way to uh, your macro, um, anywhere from medical device development, uh, imaging development, um, prosthetics, um, you name it, um, accident reconstruction, like the list goes yeah. on. It, it's, it's pretty diverse. And um, the area that you go in from the beginning is largely dependent on schools. So um, for example, schools like UAB uh, and Vanderbilt, uh, their programs are more so on the cellular level where um, some of the other program or chem biochemical level is really uh, merge with those programs. And then some other schools you may go to, um, it's more so housed with your mechanical engineering and aerospace. And so now as a student, you're allowed to pick different electives and things like that to kind of uh, build your path, um, whether on the macro or the um, micro side. So that's biomedical engineering um, in a nutshell overall. So specifically, I am more so on the macro side and looking at um, the mechanical effects or the response, the human body response to different environments. And the environment that I'm focused on is the military environment. It's more complex. Um, it has a lot of different parameters. And so ultimately my role is to make sure um, that the protective equipment the soldiers are wearing, you know, the helmets and the helmet attachments um, do not create an additional risk for injury in like crash or acute uh, scenarios. And then over long-term wear don't cause any um, increased risk of, um, you know, long-term neck and back pain, as well as mm -hmm. making sure it doesn't prevent them from completing the mission in the field. You can put a camera on their helmet um, and it'll help them see, but if it's so heavy to wear after five minutes, they can't wear it, then it's not really an advantage. So uh, for true. me, my job is mostly finding a balance between um, the technology being an asset and in that making sure it is an asset in that specific environment, because what works for a soldier on the ground doesn't work for a soldier in the air in a helicopter because of the different environmental parameters. And so just finding that that healthy equilibrium between the soldier, their performance and their health and the mission. <clears throat> wow. Look, Adrian, I'm sitting here like totally amazed because I don't think anyone explained biomedical engineering to me like that when I was <laughs> an undergraduate. Because I remember hearing the terms and someone was like, oh, yeah, that's something you should look into. And to me, just the sound of the words together. It's like, no, nah, that's nothing I want to do. You <laughs> said something about engineer. So tell me, um, how did you even get interested or how did you even find yourself in that pathway? So um, 
from an early age, I um, took a knack to science. So um, I believe like in the fifth grade uh, in middle school, we um, were required to participate in a science fair. And it was something mm-hmm. that, you know, you had to work on all year and you had to, uh, you know, go. Your first assignment was to go and research a topic and then you had to present your topic. And then, yeah. you know, you literally had to go through and your purpose, your hypothesis, your methods, all of that. And um, at the end, you know, there was a, a science fair and it was set up at the school and you mm-hmm. would have your little tri board with all your stuff and your displays and they would be judged. And so um, the first year I did it, like I really, I really knew that that was something that I kind of wanted to do. Like I liked working through the problem, figuring out a way to approach it, you know, looking and talking about what was happening and what could, you know, change, what could be done to change the outcome. Um, And from the fifth through the eighth grade, uh, we always had to do one of those topics. And then I realized um, in high school, like all the topics that I picked were like some kind of medical or type of issue um I remember one time it was like radon and how does radon gas affect the body one time it was like antibiotic steroids I think one time it was tuberculosis it was one more but I can't remember it now okay uh we would my mom would take us to the library okay so I'm aging myself here (laughs) I know right Back when I was thinking back when the library was a place back to go. when you really had to know to do a decimal system, yes. Uh, so we would go to the library and just go over in the science section. And you know, traditionally there was always like a plant option or something like that. But um early on, I realized I always kind of had like an interest in the medical field. I think it was also due to family influence. My mom's a nurse. Um, my aunt's a nurse. Every, I think every one of my aunts has gone or been enrolled in nursing school at some point. Um, so like the medical background was there. Um, so I believe that was, that was the first influence. And so, like I said, when we went to the library, I would always kind of try to gravitate towards some kind of health issue or thing like that. So I, like everybody else said, okay, when I grow up, I want to be a doctor. Yes, that's um, always the case. I always I, say in any African American home when the baby likes science, they say, Oh, the baby's gonna be a doctor. Yes. <laughs> and so I want and I remember I want to say like sixth or seventh grade. Um, it was take your daughter to work day. So I went to work um with my mom mm-hmm. and I watched her and shadowed her at the hospital. And when I left the hospital that day, I said I knew. It's like, I'm not going to be, no, I don't, I don't like the front line. I don't like, you know, being there and having to make the quick decisions. Uh, nursing's not for me. Medical school is not for me. So then in high school, um, I gravitated more towards the science, you know, uh, physical science, physics, um, chemistry. Um, so physics and biology were my two favorite. And so when it was time to pick a career, um, I didn't really, I knew I wanted to do engineering, um, but I wanted to kind of do something with medicine, but I didn't know how to make it work. So, um, in the eighth grade, um, my grandma had to get her toes amputated due to diabetic complications. 
And so mm-hmm. my first reaction to that was to figure out how to savage her shoe collection. So <laughs> it was, okay, well, was let fly. me, yes. you know, so I was like, <laughs> I have to remember, I'm sorry, I'm going to interject this. I know Adrian's grandmother and dresser she was. So the shoe collection had to be salvaged. Let me just right. say. <laughs> and so her main concern was, well, am I going to be able to wear my heels? And they told yeah. her, you know, um, she, they were not going to take the big toes and the big toes are going to be balanced. And, you know, it may take some therapy or some rehabilitation, but you should be able to wear your shoes. And she would be like, I'm not wearing my heels in no wheelchair. I don't know what these people talk about. Okay. So I kept trying to figure out ways to like stuff her shoes to where, you know, I knew she had the big toe. Um, how could we wrap or make it, you know, feel the shoe out so that right. it wouldn't be fl- so, that right there was the beginning and I didn't even know. Wow. Um, So fast forward to, you know, 10th, 11th grade and everybody's starting to think about what they wanted to do. Um, By that time, I was more so on the science side, but there was still that little flame uh, related to medicine. Um, So my first, um, I guess, STEM, because I had things I wanted to do STEM related and non-STEM related. So non-STEM related was, you know, I want to be a sports reporter. Well, at that time, we didn't know any women, let alone oh. any black women sports reporters. So I'll just say I was quickly, quickly led away mm-hmm. from that. Um, so then the next was, well, I'll do engineering. So the first engineer I, I thought I wanted to do was chemical engineering. And I thought, I'm going to, you know, do chemical engineering and I'm going to develop like a hair care line and a makeup line. And then I read, I read chemical engineering and it was like all oil, gas. And I was like, okay, well, okay. Well, okay. Well, maybe chemical engineering is not it. Um, so I just, I actually went to my guidance counselor and was like, I know I don't want to be a doctor. Or uh, I'll say I don't want to be a physician because I guess that is the distinguishing thing here. So I knew I didn't want to be a physician. Um, I had a love of science um, and I still had that medicine flame. And she told me, you know, give me a couple of days. Let me see what I can find out. I'll never forget. That was a Monday Um, on a Friday. She uh, sent a note uh, to one of my classes, you know, to come see her. And Mm -hmm. it was an excuse for me to come, you know, see her. Um, And so I went and I sat down in her office and she pulled out this piece of paper and the paper had biomedical engineering and it had a description on it. And when I read like second sentence, I looked up and I was like, this is it. Can Mm -hmm. you help me? you know, find some books. And she was like, oh, I'm already one step ahead. I've, you know, ordered you some books um, and you can read up on it. And she um, was true to her word. And I have been biomedical engineering from that day ever since. And I think I'm pretty sure it was like either 10, it had to be 11th grade for sure, because, um, when I went into the college application process, I went in already knowing that I wanted to major in um, biomedical engineering. So, yes. 
Well, look, I mean, you you pointed out so many things in that story, and I just have I want the audience to make sure they caught them first. The first thing I caught was women supporting women. Here is a female guidance counselor who sees this brilliant young lady who is looking for her pathway, tells her, this is what I know I don't want to do, but these are things I think I might like. And she goes and figures out this might be the pathway for her. Let me give her the books. Let me give her the information. Let's start her on the right path. So I'm just really glad to see that you had someone like that because um, here at the podcast, that's what we try and promote. Uh, and our hopes is that a young woman will hear one of your stories and decide to reach out to you just to begin to form that uh, support system. And another thing uh, I hear about is just mentorship. Again, having a mentor in a sense, because she could have just left you and said, oh, I don't know what you should do. Um, get, I'll get back to you and never have contacted you again. But not only did she find out, but then she got you some resources to kind of help you figure out so that, as you said, when you entered college, you were like, already, I'm here to do biomedical engineering, period. <laughs> it. And so uh, I think, you know, people don't, and this is, again, why I do the podcast, to really point out that representation matters, right? So women in those spaces of STEM or understanding or even trying to figure out those spaces it matters because then they can be the catalyst that pushes a young lady like yourself into that pipeline. And that's what we always call STEM the pipeline. And so we're looking to put more young ladies into it. And so and I can tell you that at every critical point um, of decision making, when it came to um, in terms of my education, career move or anything, there was always a woman and there was almost always a woman of color. And so I don't even think that I realized the impact um, that that had on my life mm-hmm. until just now. Um, you know, it started at home with my mom and aunts and then mm-hmm. it transitioned, you know, into high school with um, my guidance counselor. Um, I had never even thought of graduate school until I worked a STEM camp that was um, directed by a black uh, professor, industrial engineering professor, and she wow. noticed uh, it was like a STEM camp, and we were going over math concepts. And afterwards, she was like, "Let me ask you something. Have you ever thought about going to grad school?" Because she was like, "You know, the way you taught those kids and the way you made it fun for them." Um, she was like, "I think you need to think about grad school." So that was you know, that first thing of, hey, going to grad school uh, for engineering. I also had, um, I also just happened to meet uh, a Black lady who was going to grad school and getting a PhD in another type of engineering and just seeing somebody actually in that process. She, she was, she was there. Um, So, and so, like I said, I think at every critical step um luckily like i i don't think i've really had more than one um black engineering professor or woman professor but it's just weird that um still there was there was a woman a black woman or a woman of color there to um 
kind of got the way. And so I think um, my commitment and my passion to mentorship and mentoring right now is because it was poured into me. And in order yeah. to honor them, um, I want to continue to you know pour back into the community. I love that. So and because we are here in this space and we're talking about you in grad school, I do want to pull out something from your bio sketch. And okay. it says, which I didn't know, that Dr. Madison holds the honorable distinction of being the first graduate from the University of Georgia's newly established College of Engineering in 2013, where she earned her PhD in biological and agriculture engineering. And so I had no idea that you were one of the first graduates from the University of Georgia. And so and I, I didn't wanted- know it. I didn't know it going into it. So um, my journey to Georgia was um, not necessarily intentional. Okay. Um, I, my, the first place I thought I was going to grad school was UAB. I was so confident that I was going to UAB for grad school. I it's moved home. back home and I just, I was waiting for my letter. Okay. <laughs> so my letter didn't never come. And so I was like, you know what? Okay. Uh, I have spoken with my major professor, um, I believe, at a a conference that I had attended. Um, And then I had subscribed to different mailing lists and he had posted um, a link for a graduate student. So when I saw it, I was like, oh, I remember that name. Um, And so I was trying to think where I remember it from. But he was looking for a graduate student and um, he was looking for a graduate student to um, venture out and take a new, um, I guess, research focus within his lab. He was computational electrical engineering, uh, but he has since developed like a knack for imaging and imaging for medical applications. And so he was looking to bring in someone that had, you know, uh, that biomedical background to kind of merge in with his um, computer and electrical um, engineering background. So I just took a chance and responded um, to that, you know, post on that forum or emailed, you know, the contact information. And I was thinking it would be a couple of days before he got back with me, but it was 17 minutes. I'll never forget. What? So um, (laughs) he emailed me back back in 17 minutes and was like, you know, um, I'd love to give you a call right now to talk about it. And so I, you know, usually when you think I'm going to talk to a professor, I need to prepare, I need to read up on him. Now he put me on the spot. Um, and so I talked to him and he told me what the project was and it was going to be to build a bioreactor for some, um, tissue engineered blood vessels. And, you know, he just hit all the keywords and I was like, this is it. I'm, you know. Um, because the grad school thing, I welcomed that from, um, that professor at the STEM camp, but, um, grad school was only supposed to be a stepping stone. So I had put in my mind that I wanted to do patent law Mm. and in order to do patent law or medical device patent law, um, you had to have a master's degree in engineering and, um, some experience with, uh, you know, medical devices. So here, here I am, I got my plan and I'm doing the stepping stone. So I'm like, okay, 
you know, if I go to grad school and work on this project, I'll check off these boxes, you know, when I get ready to present myself, you know, for patent law. Um, long story short, we pack it up, we move, I, my, you know, we moved me to Missouri um, and I'm starting off. Um, the plan was because I moved in the middle of the semester, I was just going to go ahead and work in the lab full time and just start okay. on my project and then do school the next semester. Um, he knew that I had plans for patent law and he sounded like he supported that initially. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, three so. weeks through I was there three weeks and he called me into his office to talk and he basically said you know what I've seen in you the three weeks I think it would be a waste of talent to go to law school you know okay. I think you should you know look into doing a PhD and I've already kind of identified a few lines of funding for you. Uh, we actually have um, a young lady who happened to be Black um, that is finishing up her PhD. And I think you should talk to her. And so um, that was the beginning of, I guess, who you see now. <clears throat> um, I talked to her. I was really captivated by her and what she was doing. She was working on something entirely different. I want to say um, her project had something to do with um, uh, HIV pathways of treatment or something like that. But okay. I was just in awe of her. I don't know if it was just her or the combination of her. And so, you know, I thought if this man in three weeks has said, it'll be a waste of telling a lot. Like it, it totally went to my head. I'm just young and naive and not really thinking, you know, this is about to be a challenge like no other. So I'm at the university of Missouri and I agree. I say, okay, I'm going to go ahead and do the PhD. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, he comes back and says, well, you know, we have this PhD MD program. So I'm like, I think this is a setup. Um, and so reluctantly, I agreed to consider that. Well, before I could really give him a decision on that, um, he was offered a tenure position at the University of Georgia. And so he asked, you know, he gave us the option of whether or not we could leave and go with him. Um, mm -hmm. For me, it really was a no brainer. I had only done one semester um, of graduate courses. Um, mm -hmm. So even if I had to start over, I, you know, it was six credit hours that kind of gave me um, a head start on what to expect as a graduate student. And plus it was closer to home. So you're looking at, right. you know, going from like a 12 to 14 hour drive from home to a three or four hour drive from home, like being the mm -hmm. next state over. So it was a no brainer. So that's how I ended up um, at University of Georgia. Um, so at the time when we got to University of Georgia, they only had what's called a faculty of engineering. And they were housed up under the College of Agricultural and I believe Biological Science. Okay. So you know how back early during the war when they had those land uh, grant agreements. So the agreement was that Georgia Tech would take all of the primary engineering and University of Georgia, given their location, would do uh, the agricultural and the biological engineering. Okay. 
So when we got to um, the University of Georgia, they brought him there specifically uh, to develop the curriculum for electrical and computer engineering. They, you know, were preparing for the end of that land grant agreement, which would open up the opportunity for University of Georgia to also get engineering majors. So when we got there, I entered as into a great as a grad student um, into the faculty of engineering, and I did not know that I was going to be the first graduate from the College of Engineering um, because there were a few of us, but just so happened everybody else got through <laughs> before it was um, before it made the transition over to the college of engineering. So that was purely, I guess, circumstantial um, and just a gift and a curse of the unpredictability and uncertainty (laughs) in timelines when pursuing a graduate degree. Because let me tell you, if I had known that, I probably would, you know, it's a lot of pressure. Um, Mm. It's overwhelming. Um, sometimes it's overwhelming every time to talk about, but literally when I get trapped into my own thoughts, it's even worse because, um, it's like a weight you're carrying on your shoulders. So like when I think about the very first opinion that anybody had on the college of engineering or the outcomes is based on, you know, me and what I do. Um, oh my God, you're accepting a whole lot of responsibility. <laughs> the pressure, but like what it. if, what it. if, you know, oh, well, look at her. She didn't do really good. Don't, don't go to, um, you know, don't go to Georgia for engineering. But like, they can't say that. So, well, it, but, it, but you just, it, the pressure. Yeah, um, so I, I will say once I realized, and I didn't even really realize it until after the fact, but like, um, I would say that it definitely influenced like the jobs I applied for. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I don't know. I took on this un, nobody told me to, but you know, I just wanted to make sure I, I represented the opportunity well. Um, and then there is the issue. Okay. Not only are you the first graduate from the college of engineering, but you're the, you're black and then you're a woman. Yeah. And so um, someone could easily use that against, you know, to determine the strength or the, you know, the rankings or whatever of that program. So, um, I am grateful, um, that I was able to achieve that, but I don't think I did not set out to do that. It was just, I guess, a reward for, the diligence and the, the just not quitting, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, your hard work and, like you said, diligence. I mean, Adrian, I just want you to know, it took three re- weeks for him to be like, hey, you're brilliant. I need for you to stay in this lab. And so that means in three weeks, you were definitely um, making an impact in his lab where he was not like, I can lose her and wouldn't care, right? So I think... Um, you do what I see a lot of us women of color do when we're in uh, a position. We always want to do the best that we can so the next person 
gets the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> so yes. somebody takes a chance on them because we remember the good work that Adrian did or remember the good work that Sabrina did. So we're always living on that cliff of if I don't perform at the top, then the next person won't get that chance. Yes. And, that's and I'm really, trying to break myself. I'm trying to free myself of that, but it is so hard. It really is. It's a, what I call uh, <laughs> uh, an ex- existential well it's a trauma nonetheless that we as black women I definitely have. agree yes right and so we just can't get past it or beyond it it's gonna take time but what I do like just seeing in the spaces that I reside in that people are beginning to recognize it like hey you know I don't have to take this on like you know let people speak for themselves and then uh, just let my work be a part of the good work that was done. And so we have a we have a long way to go, I do know, but uh, me talking to I will you, say it's kind of a <laughs> yeah. relief for me to know that I'm not alone, but at the same time, it's not a relief because why do we all why do we all do that? <gasps> Girl, now you know I can make a million dollars if I can tell you that. <laughs> I have some clues, but uh yeah, just go, we go. Mm-hmm. We go. We get all that. Well, what I do want to talk about though is because uh, you talk about um, having went to women leadership, but then we talk about you meeting uh, your PI or your lab mentor, and he's a male. And so I just want to ask you about your lab environment. Uh, when you went in, are were there a lot of females, or because you did say there was one more African American female? Or was it more male dominated? Because so just in the, when I think of engineering, I normally think of males. Mm-hmm. So um, in the lab that I was working in, um, I was the only female uh, graduate student um, and the only black. However, um, the lab manager uh, was a female. And so um, I think she, her impact on my life has been understated because, you know, things, lessons about determination and perseverance and, you know, don't be afraid of time. I think I inadvertently um, learned those lessons, just learning about her journey um, as well. So, um, but I will say um, my mentor was perfect for me because um, he wasn't a micromanager. you know, you had to have that discipline. He was not a morning person. And so therefore we weren't forced to be morning people. Uh, He didn't start his day till about nine or nine 30. And we had that freedom. And so um, with that freedom also came a lot of responsibility, right? Um, Uh Because you go from an environment where you have homework due and you need to turn it in and you turn it in on that day and you immediately get your grade back. Well, that was my first lesson um, that graduate school was totally different because he wouldn't check up on you. You know, you had to go to him to ask questions and then we would have lab meetings where everybody would present their stuff. And so Mm -hmm. if you hadn't done anything, it was very easy for that to be, you know, determined, uh, especially, you know, biweekly. So, um, kind of had to develop that accountability. So um, he was hands off, yet hands on enough to where 
Um, I think it shaped me to be able to be disciplined and um, it actually influenced, I think, my leadership style. Um, there are a lot of negative connotations about um, the major professor grad student relationship. You know, it, they use it for free labor. Uh, mm-hmm. They'll drag it out long for mm-hmm. cheap labor. And so um, I don't think that was at all the case. We were very much able to have a hand in, you know, the research we wanted to do and how we wanted to apply it. And so, you know, as long as it was within reason, uh, he would encourage and support it. And if he felt initially it was out of reason, you know, he gave us the platform to, um, you know, express or try to, you know, give him what we thought was the rationale. So I do realize, so I do realize I'm probably one of the lucky ones. However, Mm -hmm. I would like to say my journey was not um, absent of struggles. Um, One of the things was that, you know, because this was a new spin or a new research focus area, um, the the funding wasn't fluid. Okay. So I spent a lot of time uh, and then with the funding not being fluid and then also being at a university that's a faculty of engineering, you know, um, and the funding, like I was the one that had to, uh, I think I was the only one that had to do a TA, um, you know, uh, a teacher course. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to also be and they wouldn't, it didn't necessarily, it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. I just had to work a little harder. For instance, I had to take on a role where, um, like my assistantship was tied to me, um, introducing students to the possibility of doing undergraduate research in the lab. So it was like a fellow. And my job was to uh, match students with different research labs so that they could work as an undergraduate researcher and then use that to determine what they wanted to do. So it was never just go to the lab and go to class. Um, there was always something from me teaching um, in Greene County, Georgia, math and science enrichment during the summer and during the fall in the evenings. Um, STEM, like the I, the Lewis Stokes, you know, they have that yeah. in the different states. So being a STEM counselor, it was never just go to class, go to lab, mm-hmm. go home. There was always right. a third or fourth dimension Um to me being a grad student and it felt like a burden at the time but like I said so much of who I am and so much of what I do um, is tied to each of those I guess individual air quote burdens you know like why couldn't I be privileged at the time to have a fellowship that paid you know fifty sixty thousand dollars uh, salary and my tuition and all I have to do is, you know, go to class, go to do my experiments and go home. So like I said, it felt like a burden at the time, but there were so many lessons and so many unexpected benefits to where um, I really wouldn't change the journey if I could. Um, well, I'm glad to to hear that you persevered through it all. I have, you know, known graduate students, uh, have both roads, um, me being the one where 
And I do believe it's because at the time UAB was established. So Dr. Lewis Dale has a minority faculty development fellowship that they pay for minority students to go to graduate school in, uh, in hopes that they would develop into faculty. And <laughs> there are several of us who have actually done what he set out to do. But like you're saying, that uh, lesson us from the burden of having to be TAs and having to do anything else other than go to lab and go to class. And until you said that, I didn't even think about that at all. You know, because I'm Sabrina, I would <laughs> end up putting myself in stuff just because. So I became McNair um, mentor. Oh, okay. so and yeah. all of this. And it was just because I saw it somewhere. It was like, oh, I would love to do that. Or it was the Minority Affairs Office with Wanda Jordan. She always, you know, was asking graduate students to do stuff. And I didn't have to, but I would because, and I remember my mentor being like, Sabrina, um, maybe you want to think about not doing something this summer. <laughs> I was just like, what is it? I still come to lab. Like, I don't even understand why I can't do this. So, you know, it's a big difference in me going out gallivanting and doing it for fun because, oh, I want to be a part of the community that helped these rising undergraduates become graduate students versus someone who's having to do it because they're also needing the funding to help them. But you also just brought up something else um, that I think is important. So you said your funding was tied um, to the hopes of developing um, faculty. Mm -hmm. So I will say early on when I got to grad school, I realized I did not want to be um, a professor or, you know, I didn't want to stay in the academic um, sector. So I believe that also created some challenges. Well, I know it did because I turned down a, a few opportunities that um, provided would have provided funding contingent on um, agreeing to teach at certain mm-hmm. universities for a couple of years. And so um, what's funny is um, you saying that kind of took me back to kind of feeling like um, an outsider because most people who went uh, and made the choice to get a PhD usually had plans to, uh, you know, get a tenure position, mm-hmm. you know, uh, develop like a research lab. And I did not want to do that. Um, I, so one of the things about biomedical engineering was that, you know, when I first got in it, it was still pretty new and still, mm-hmm. um, being established. So, you know, when you think about mechanical engineering or electrical engineering, like those programs have been there since the beginning of time. And um, there has not been a lot of change from the curriculum from the beginning till now. Uh, Biomedical engineering, like I said at the beginning, because that focus area is so broad from the micro to the macro, that you have those variations in programs from university to university. So when the companies are looking for, you know, biomedical engineers, in order to make sure they've covered everything, um, they wanted at the time, like a minimum of a master's degree and Mm. preferably a PhD. And they were having a hard time filling those because, you know, not many people were going to get PhDs (laughs) in biomedical engineering. And if they were going... 
they were going, they were going to be an engineering professor. Um, and so I saw that and I saw that as, I guess I took it on as a challenge or opportunity. So um, I got a lot of pushback by being vocal (laughs) that I did not want to pursue a career in academia. Now, I got that because the strength of my acceptance and my recommendation letters all um, focused on my teaching abilities and my abilities to um, interact with students and make learning fun. So, you know, they had this idea. She's going to be a great professor. She's going to bring these unique concepts to, you know, teach engineering. And I was like, Hey, I'm only teaching because I got a TA. <laughs> like, this is not because I want to do this. Let's okay. not get attached. So, um, you know, I think that was one of the. I mean, I've I always knew I wouldn't like everybody else, but it's funny because I would always find myself in situations where I'd be like, "Well, you just couldn't come here and do." what everybody else did like why did you have to you know make this so difficult and so because of that like that was so we'll come back to that when you want to talk about transitioning from grad school to the career well look no so what you brought up so much because um it's one of those things to realize that everybody doesn't want to go into academia when they do graduate school. And I think that is the, the myth that if you're going to get your PhD, you plan on being in academia. And I remember the graduate uh, uh, club, what is the graduate society? GSA. So graduate school association. Yeah. And so they had started doing these under the direction of one of their um, presidents. They had started doing these talks where they have people from industry come in, from government come in, because they had realized that everybody didn't want to go into academia. And I would go to some of those and I was like, well, and I remember thinking, well, why don't they just have different tracks and students join the track? If you want to do industry, then you go, you, you do your lab work, but you have some type of internship that's in industry. Or if you want to do government, you did a fellowship in the summertime that allowed you to see what the government offered. So I just thought that graduate school was so one-dimensional and I realized that they were just creating other academics in their head because somebody has to take over. So, yes, yes, yes. And so, you know, and for me, I just got caught in the fact that I did like teaching and I love the college campus. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a professor because I like the college campus. I like seeing the students. I like the whole vibe. I like the choir. All the things that come with being in college is what I like. Like it gives me energy when I see the beginning of the year or, you know, I get sad when it's spring break and everybody goes. And I was just like, spring is crazy, but it's just, it's my environment. But I realized everybody didn't have that. And so I'm glad to hear you say that. Uh, It's a young lady that I follow on Instagram and she's called the bold PhD. And all she does is give, you follow her? Yes. She gives great content on if you don't want to go into academia, here are the things that you can do and I can help you get yourself together so you can do something other than teach. And I was like, blessed be. Where was she? Where was she? But, you know, um, I'm glad she is there. But, you know, because it was just kind of like that 
if you wanted to get a gasp, you know, or if I wanted to shock people and they would be like, well, you know, um, have you started looking or considering what, you know, universities or whatever you want to teach it? And I would be like, no, mm-hmm. no, I don't want to be one. So, um, but yeah, I, and so um, my professor supported that idea. <clears throat> However, he did not, he and no one else on my committee had any experience applying for jobs outside oh. of academia um, at the PhD level. Um, and there were other professors, um, you know, there, uh, and they had worked uh, different, you know, jobs, work for the government, things like that. But they left those jobs to go to grad school. So mm. I literally was, so my whole job search thing, like I pretty much navigated alone. Like I had friends who were engineers um, trying to help get me on an in industry. And yeah. even a lot of people in the industry was like, she got a PhD. Why she won't go be a professor? Why she want to come work here? Mm-hmm. So um, I spent a lot of time um, with industry, convincing them. If you think that I am good enough to teach the engineers who are going to come work for you, why do you not think I'm not good enough to work for you? Wow. Um, and so, you know, wow. engineering is... Um, they thrive like your, I guess your success um, is largely dependent on your ability to secure internships and co-ops and things like that. And so um, by me, you know, early on choosing to go to grad school and things like that, I focused my internship and co-op opportunities in the research labs Mm -hmm. on campus to build, um, to kind of build my resume for graduate school and not necessarily for, um industry yeah so um it took me it took me two years post phd to find a job because i literally was stuck in that awkward she has a phd she has a phd Mm. in engineering she can help us here but why won't she go be a professor so um i got discouraged to the point where i actually did just start um applying for um, academic positions because I you know I was just kind of like well maybe they're right you know I tried so I was starting to make peace in um, the fact that I had tried and that you know now I know that if you get a PhD you need to go to academia and then I said well you know I'm gonna just go be a professor and what I'm gonna do is help everybody else come along not have to do this so I had accepted that um and then you know this opportunity that I'm currently at um came out of nowhere it was I just I don't know I think I was frustrated and um the job opportunity came on Indeed and it was actually for a position in San Antonio um and I applied for it and the next day the recruiter called and was like, I saw your resume. Your resume is really good. I noticed you're from Alabama. Have you ever heard of Fort Rucker, Alabama? And I was like, I have. You had? Girl, no. I'm still like, what? Yeah, I had. I can't even remember. I was like, yeah, but, you know, I thought the recruiter was making small talk. 
I thought oh. the recruiter was about to say, oh, well, I'm from Fort Rucker, Alabama. I was like, yeah, it's like down in the middle of nowhere, whatever, you know. Um, and he was like, well, I have a job actually in Fort Rucker. And since you're already in Alabama, I would like for you to go interview for that one first. So my dad used to be in the army and I asked him, I was like, what is that Fort Rucker element? He was like, he was like, I don't know about that. He was like, because I don't think they would have no biomedical engineers at Fort Rucker, Alabama. He was like, I don't, you know. Yeah. Um, he was like, I have no idea. Um, because Fort Rucker is really the home of Army aviation. So everything, like all the Army pilots, because the Army only has helicopters, they don't have um fixed wing or fighter. Okay. Um, the other branches of service, like the Air Force um and the Navy have like the fighter jets and, and um, st- stuff like that. So he was like, I don't know why they would send you down there with helicopters and all the pilots to do biomedical engineering. I was like, well, this man say, you know, and he got a date. So I'm going to go down there and interview. Okay. And um, that's literally how I ended up. Um, I interviewed with one division, didn't really work out over there. And they was like, no, let me tell you, your resume, we send you back down there in two weeks, but you're going to talk to this group. And so when I went back two weeks later, I interviewed with the group that I'm with now. And I've been with them ever since. Wow. I mean, I just want to point out to our listeners, just in case they didn't know, your perseverance is like a match. You said two years you took to then come to the realization that, okay, maybe, you know, this is not for me. And I just really ought to go into academia only to then. And I love how God does things show up and show out. He was like, no, I got it for you. I was just waiting for you to get to the place where if I sent it to you, you'd be really open and receptive to it. And so just to see, you know, that take place. I always say when things happen real fast, usually God is involved because he usually moves at a breakneck speed. And you're just like, wait a minute, I don't know what's going on. And I re- so, it really caught me. I, you know, I had completely shifted my resume from, um, you know, like what you would expect the injury, uh, industry to like a CV, like, you know, classes I had taught, like my teaching format. Like I had literally... took like two or three weeks to fully transition and grieve the fact that I was leaving the resume format for industry and putting together academic Mm CV. Because like I said, I was just going to grunt and do it. But I probably, you know, I went into it. I'm going to do it. But I'm going to do it. And my focus is going to be, you know, anybody else come through and don't want to be a professor. I am going to make sure they have what they need (laughs) to not have to do it. So. Um, well, I actually yeah. think I hope you're working on a book because I'm just like, <laughs> do you not know how many people need to read that and figure out like if I'm not trying to go, what do I because when you say it, you you make so many key points. It's like even your your resume changes from being a CV, which we all look for in academia, to now you're talking about having a resume that's tailored toward industry. And so, you know, a student who's gone and got their PhD just may not even realize that. I remember when I came out and I had done um, a lot of work in labs and I was applying to a job at Procter Gamble 
And I applied. <clears throat> and later on, I was talking to another person and I saw their resume and I was like, nobody had told me. So I just didn't know mm-hmm. to change my resume up so that it tailored to that job. And I was like, Sabrina, you, and again, I did not get it, <clears throat> but I knew and I knew why. Mm-hmm. And so um, those are very important steps that I think we just need to mention it for any young lady who's listening to the podcast <clears throat> or a parent who's trying to help a child understand that when you're applying to these positions, your resume does matter and it really should be tailored to the position that you're seeking and not just a general resume. Because right now, I understand that they have bots that actually go through and look and search for keywords. those keywords. Yes. Right. And so you want to be able to get picked up by that bot so that you can at least get into the pool for the interviews. So anyway, I just heard that and was like, oh, you know, Adrian dropping gym. People may <laughs> I, not it. And you know what? I wasn't even trying to like I would love to, you know, get and say that everything I did was intentional. There are some intentional aspects of it. And then it mm-hmm. was just, you know, things fell into place. You know, God intervened, you know, I and I was, you know, I spent a lot of those two years trying to, I guess, float to keep from Mm -hmm. sinking. Like I've done all I was supposed to do. I got a PhD and, you know, um, interviewed with a lot of, with several medical device companies. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the last one told me, you know, you had an amazing interview. Uh, We think you're great, but we just think you're going to be bored. You're going to get bored. Um, and we'll be, you know, we'll be looking again within two years and we're trying to, you know, hopefully find someone who could do this long term. So, um, like I said, I would love to paint this picture that, you know, everything I did was intentional, but some of it was just, um, you know, panic swimming to keep from, (laughs) (laughs) to keep from sinking. And it just happened. Somebody saw me in distress, you know, and, 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 and pulled me to shore. So, um, I am nowhere near self-made and I hope that I have never, um, implied or insinuated that, you know, I am here because of everything I did. No. Um, there were just people positioned or things positioned in my life or people who guided me to those to kind of help, you know, make this journey what it is. And I thank you for saying that. I think it just needs to be known though, that, you know, it is a journey. And as you're saying, uh, you need help sometime on the journey. And to me that I keep going back to it, but that is exactly why the podcast was created so that uh, there would be a pool of women that other young women could at least reach out and say, hey, I heard your podcast uh, interview on the STEM lab, and I just have a couple of questions. Would you mind taking a moment to talk with me about them? Because that's what it's going to take for us to have women of color in these STEM pipelines. It's going to take us nurturing, mentoring, and helping pull our sisters along, no matter uh, what stage they're in. Because all of us, as you're saying, need a little help. And it's just by the grace of God that sometimes a lot of our intentional, unintentional work has turned out to be good for us. But if we could stop some of that and give, you know, a little roadmap 
that would help you cut down on some of the um, work that you had to do that I think that would be, you know, definite way of giving back and uh, enriching the community. Well, Adrian, look, we could talk all day. I can because <laughs> it's so much that I'm just like, oh, I need to, I want to ask this or that. But I know there is time and you told us so many gems and I'm so just, again, proud of you. As I say, I knew you. We, well, let me just you know, stop because yeah. I don't even think you realize um, the impact and the influence you had on me. Um, oh, no. Let me tell you, you were always getting some award. You were always being recognized for your achievements and you know, being young and, you know, we went to church in Investment, Alabama, you know, there weren't many uh, good news stories and you mm-hmm. were, you were like the first good news story. And I remember we wanting to be like you so much. I remember uh-huh. you, um, you did for church for Black History Month or something. Um, you had to recite the creation by James Weldon Johnson and you uh-huh that I remember just being I had never heard it before I remember asking my aunt give me that paper give me that paper oh. that she um that she read because I wanted to learn that so I don't even think you realized the role that you played and so I just want to end by saying thank you because my aunt used to follow you and know, you know, knew everything she would you were doing. And she would come back and she would tell us, you know, Sabrina's going here. She's going to be a scientist. Da, 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 da. And so that I'm sorry. Um, I know I'm crying. Like, I'm like, <laughs> Adrian, you were not supposed to do this at the end of this. <laughs> but um, and that was one of the reasons I was so excited that you asked me because I was like. How cool is it that somebody you looked up to is now asking you to um, continue to work? So, (laughs) thank you. No, thank you, Adrian. I am, first of all, just so. You probably don't even remember that. You probably don't even remember that. Well, let me tell you what I do always remember. And you you bring up such a, and this is how community works. I always looked up to your mom and your aunt because they were nurses. And there was not a young lady in that church that did not want to be Darlene Cotton. Let me just say <laughs> that. Like she could wear a four-inch heel like nobody else and step in it. And I was just like, that's who I wanted to grow up to be. I was going to wear my hair to the side, blonde dye, with all of it. <laughs> and her whole persona because she was that woman and she was a nurse. And so, you know, that's what I started out wanting. It's just that, you know, my life and all of the things that I was interested in led into science. But, you know, it's just that circle that um, I want us to keep, you know, unbroken. It's other representation matters it's right, other it black does. women showing a young black girl what you could do and that's how I felt because your aunts because I didn't have nurses in my family my aunt was an LPN but seeing her and knowing that she ran a floor 
hey, I'm going to be just like her. And that's how it started. And so we were all in that incubator. Like you got to go to work with your mom, but, you know, I got to live through the experience. And I love that, you know, come down even to your grandfather. Like he was such, you know, he would always tell me, girl, you smart. You smart as a will. And, you know, it was just that encouragement at the church all the time where someone was always validating me and telling me that I was going to do it and they could see greatness in me. And so that always kept me going because I was the little girl that lived around the corner in the projects. You know, people have a certain idea of what the kids in the projects are going to do and where they're going to become. But to have that church stand there and the people in it always encourage me and always tell me that they saw so much more in me really always encouraged me to do more, to do better and to keep it up. Because what I realized is that people love that I was smart. And so I was like, Sabrina, <laughs> if you don't do nothing, you better yes. use this and do something with it. And so that's what kept me going. And when I went off to ASMS, that church supported me. That church is what gave me the funds that I needed yes. in order to buy all the little things that I needed. And that's when I knew, you know, that was true love to me. That's when you grow up in an environment that's really loving. And so I invite you here because I've been watching you. And I was just like, I never knew. When I think of you, I think of y'all big Easter baskets. Because <laughs> you know your mom had to have y'all with that Easter basket in those God. beautiful in your hair up in the bowls like that's my picture of you so when I saw you as a young lady and then I saw that you were in science I was like what oh my god Adrian she turned out to be beautiful in all aspects not just a demon but she also is a scientist <laughs> and that just excited me so much and I was just like you know going through it I was like Sabrina you gotta get Adrian on and so as soon as you say yes, I was like, oh, my God, thank you. Because, you know, you're busy. And so I know how it is, and we probably can't do it. So of everything, I want to say thank you, because I am glad to have been uh, whatever little part I played, but to just see you blossom to the young lady you are today, Adrian. And believe me, there are other young women who are watching you and who are just being inspired by you. So we're just keeping this going. I say, I tell my friends, I create the podcast so it can live in perpetuity so that at any point in time in the space line continue, somewhere on the interwebs is this interview. Some little girl is going to come across and she's going to be inspired to move on in the struggle that she's going through. She'll see us and know it can happen. It literally can happen because we have a long way to go, you know. STEM, diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, still STEM and the gender gap, it's still a fight that we are on. And so we just have to keep going. So I'm just glad to have you a part of my STEM community and to be able to highlight you here on the podcast. I feel like I I told you when you invited me, I said, I think I I think I'd have made it a little bit because you know, it was, you see Sabrina, she's smiling. You need to get your work. You need to be like her. And so I feel like this is one of the moments where I can say, okay, I made it. <laughs> you did. You did. Well, look, Adrian, I always ask this question. I feel like this is just not something we have to do because me and you have really just given a great interview. But I always ask my um, interviewee, if you could go back at any place in time in your life 
in speaks to the younger or uh, even a down the road, Adrian, what would you say to her? What advice would you give her about the steel pipeline um, and how to remain in it? Hmm. Um, well, I can tell you, um, I, my, my motto or what I've told myself is just keep pushing because mm-hmm. even if I don't make it to my destination, maybe somebody will see me on the road and decide to take that journey and, and take it and take it one step further. So, um, like I said, a lot of stuff has just been fate or, you know, blessings, divine intervention, things lining up. But there are some aspects that are intentional. Um, and sometimes the things that are intentional are a result of just some of those unpredictable things. For example, I had just resorted to applying for academic jobs. But, you know, whatever university I took a role with, I was going to say, hey, I am going to teach a course on non-traditional you know, jobs or pathways with a PhD or something like that. And so um, even all the way down to my hair and what I would have worked, I realized that I was going to be the first up close and frequent encounter a lot of people had with a Black woman or a woman of color. Mm -hmm. Um, And just little simple things like wearing my hair in braids and them tying it back to somebody that they saw in the community with the same hairstyle would kind of break some of those barriers or break some of those stereotypes. And it was, oh, you, I like your your hair. Um, My pharmacy tech got her hair like that or the lady such and such, you know, got her hair like that just to kind of be like, you know, don't define us or I guess um, try to assign us a class or, Right. educational level based on hair um you know I try to balance the neat polished looks with kind of, you know the traditional accepted neat polished looks with things untraditional so you know if somebody come in with some locks and you know no one's saying oh your hair is not neat um so, so I guess I am building a foundation for that any other black employees or any of my interns they come in they don't have to feel like they're being judged or have to step outside of who they are um uh, to be considered I guess you know a hard worker or or things mm-hmm. like that so um I know you know we're still you know, a lot of the first and still trying to figure out ways to make it easier um, for the next person. So I guess my motto is I climb the stairs, but I'm creating an elevator. So um, that is that. So that is my intent. Um, I want to make it easier. I don't ever want any of my mentor, my mentees to have to wait two years for a job like that was a promise so far I have um four PhDs um I started mentoring them as undergraduates um they're all PhDs now none of them have gone more than three months before finding a position and most of them have it lined up you know when they defend so Mm -hmm. just taking my experience and the uncertainty from my experience and making it 
intentional. I know more than I know then. So I'm passing that knowledge to them. And again, that's part of me taking the stairs I climbed and making it into an elevator. So, I mean, escalator. So, um, yeah, I just, I'm just intentional. And my hope is that what I'm pouring into, you know, this generation, they're going to continue to light the path for the people behind them. Well, look, Adrian, you are doing a wonderful job. I'm, again, proud of you. And I just like your motto. I took the stairs, or I'm climbing the stairs, so that you, but I'm building the escalator or elevator. I like yeah. both of them. <laughs> and so that just says uh, a lot about you and your integrity. And I think it just says why I invited you on to the podcast, because I want to highlight women who I know are taking time to uh, pour into another uh, young woman or young man to make sure that their road is not as rough as ours was. And so I do really appreciate you for uh, taking your time to join us, uh, taking your time to uh, mentor and, and taking your time to, in this part of your life, be very intentional with the work that you do. So kudos to you and thank you so much for joining us at the podcast. And thank you once again for having me. Yeah. All right. yeah.